Good morning. He is risen. Oh, you can do better than that. He is risen. It's a good day. Um, thank you, Bob, for your testimony. I'm a little partial to hearing that one. There's a lot of contrasts taking place uh, in the Anderson home lately. You may have noticed some of these contrasts. Uh, For one, uh, for the first time in uh, my 34 years of life, I know I'm very old, uh, I'm growing facial hair. And uh, you're clapping. I don't know why, but that's okay. I am. Yes, it is hard to see. And there is a little bit of red. So Tom Bennett is very, very excited about that. Um, But my kids are, my kids don't know what to do with my facial hair. And Bennett and Mallory, they're touching it and they they just love the contrast. You know, they've been used to a a smooth-shaven dad for many, many years, and I'm just, you know, it's, it's uh, taken me about three weeks to get to this stage, so it doesn't exactly grow very fast, but my son was rubbing my face last night, and he said, Dad, it's like an old grandpa. You know, he just, he just was so uh, perplexed by it. And then, you know, you look at my son Bennett, and there's a contrast. Uh, a big contrast. This one didn't take three weeks. It took six years. Uh, he's losing teeth. And if you look at Bennett today, he's lost three teeth in like three weeks. And so we're getting used to what that, what that looks like. To, something was there, you know. Some, there were three teeth that were there just three weeks ago. And now they're gone. And, and now that they're gone, he looks so much different. He looks so grown up. There's another contrast that we celebrate today. And this contrast did not take three weeks. It didn't take six years. It took three days. When Jesus died and when he rose again. When he went into the tomb and they covered it with a stone and something was there in front and when you took that stone away when something was removed things looked different things looked better there are lessons to be learned about the contrast between those three days The contrast of Friday when Christ died and went into the grave. And the contrast of Sunday when he rose again. Today, very simply, I want to make a few points about this great contrast. On your outline, I want to make four points about the grave and what the grave means. And then we're going to make four points about the resurrection and what it means I want, if you have a Bible, open up your Bible to the book of Matthew. Uh, we'll, we'll read from our handouts for most of it, but the portions of Matthew, I want you to read from a Bible. So grab a Bible if you don't have one and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds into your Bible. The 
The Gospel of Matthew will begin in chapter 27. And on your outline, if you have a pen, I want you to write down the first lesson about the grave. Number one, the grave is cruel. The grave is cruel. Matthew chapter 27, verse 37 to 44. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 27, verse 37 to 44. And they put over Jesus' head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with Jesus, one on the right, one on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple, uh, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. Even the robbers, excuse me, he trusted in God, let him deliver him. Now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Verse 39, they blasphemed him. They wagged their heads. Verse 41, they mocked him. Verse 44, they reviled him. Death is cruel. The grave is cruel. It's merciless. The grave shows no partiality. All of us, save the Lord's return, all of us will die. All of us will go to the grave. And the grave can be mean. It can be ruthless. It can mock. It can revile. It can even take the seemingly innocent ones and yet delay the taking of those who might deserve it more. We think of the tragedy of a death of a child. Just last week, we mourned the loss uh, with the Svelin and Carson and Varela families as Kiana went home to be with the Lord. 15-year-old girl, five years battling cancer. Five years. A lot of people will look at that and say those were five cruel and ruthless and mean years. Some people wonder why couldn't she go painless and quickly perhaps? Or, or, or why not heal her, Lord, and, and let her live a, a long and, and happy and wonderful life on earth? Answers that we won't have this side of heaven. The grave, death, can be cruel it can be merciless. We think of those who have lost other innocent ones, children, people early in life, even miscarriages. The pain of a miscarriage can be unbelievably uh, dreadful. Some of you know what that's like. The grave is cruel. Death is cruel. A second point about the grave that we can learn from the gospel stories is that the grave separates us from those we love. The grave separates 
us from those that we love. On your outline, I've listed John 19, 25 to 27. And there stood, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. See, Jesus knew that his death was going to separate him from those he loved. He loved his mom, as any of us do and would. And he, dying on the cross, asked his beloved disciple, John, he said, will you look, over, look after my mom? I'm going to be separated from the one I love. I'm going to be separated from family. Would you look over those that I love? Bob wouldn't tell you this, but uh, there were moments during his hospitalization in which he was making these kinds of statements to us. And we said, we're not listening to you. Uh, he would say, tell Bennett and Mallory I love them. And I'd say, I didn't hear that. We, we don't want to be separated from those we love. But death creates in us a very real and painful sense of separation And even, at times, a sense of abandonment. Mark 15 on your outline, verse 33 and 34. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Separation. Abandonment, loneliness. That's what death can cause. I was in Costa Rica, uh, living a great college life. I went, I went off as a, soft, as a junior, excuse me, in college, and I went, moved to Costa Rica, and I studied a semester abroad. Um, I, I could even understand a little bit of Patty's song there, although my Spanish is really weak now. Um, but in Costa Rica, I was having a great time and, and learning the, the language and the culture and the history and just really enjoying pretending that I could surf and all those kinds of things. And, uh, and then I got a call. Uh, one day, my dad called. It was about halfway through my trip. And he said, Neil, he said, your grandfather died. And there I was, thousands and thousands of miles away in Costa Rica. And my grandfather, my, my dad's father, had passed suddenly of cancer. It came so quickly upon him. I'd, I had no idea that he was ill a couple months prior. And there I was, thousands of miles away, feeling totally alone and totally abandoned. I couldn't fly back. I couldn't, I couldn't go to the funeral. Death created for me a great sense of loneliness and despair, of separation from the one that I loved, my grandfather. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you have lost people in death. And the separation is, at times, unbearable. There's more about the grave. We're noticing that these are not 
These are not good. These are not healthy things about the grave that we're learning. But a third point about the grave is the grave brings regrets. The grave brings regrets. And it is interesting in the gospel story, the story of the passion, the story of Jesus' death, it's interesting to see who has regrets. We've often missed it in our reading of the gospels, but see in here, in Matthew 27, verse 50 to 54, a great story of regret. Matthew 27, verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. And then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth, it quaked, and the rocks, there were split, and the graves, they were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves, after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. So when the centurion, when the Roman soldier, and those with him who were guarding Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this man was the Son of God. It also is said elsewhere in Luke on your outline, Luke 23, 48, during this exact same time frame, that the whole crowd came together at the sight of all that was happening, the earthquake, the people who were being raised all around them, the veil of the temple being torn, verse, verse 48 of Luke 23, and the whole crowd came together to that site, seeing what they had done, they beat their breasts and returned. They returned to the place of Jesus' death. Many of the same people who had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Many of the same people who had reviled and mocked him. Death, Jesus' death, and what followed it had caused in them great regret. Unbelievable remorse. The centurion looked up at the man that he had hung on a cross, that he had helped hang, And he pointed and said, oh my goodness, I just crucified the Son of God. And the people around him, they beat their breasts, weeping and wailing, realizing what they had done. I have regrets from some who have died and gone on before me. I regret not spending more time with my youth pastor as he was dying of cancer. I regret not visiting him, not returning uh, to see him more, because he was a special man to me. I know many of you, uh, I I know recently of of situations where out of regret, or out of the fear of potential regret, people make those last-minute phone calls, they write those last-minute letters or emails to stave off feelings of regret if someone was to pass. Regret is real, and it happens often in death. Someone dies, and we realize all that we did not say to them, all that we could have said, and we failed to, or all the things that we could have reconciled with them, and we failed to reconcile, because we were stubborn, because we were fixed in our sin. 
Death brings regrets. You may have regrets from some who have died before you. The grave is ruthless, it's cruel. The grave separates you from those you love. And the grave can bring you great regret. A fourth and final note from the Gospels as we understand what the grave brings. The grave causes sadness and mourning. The grave causes sadness and mourning. Quickly, Mark 16.10. They mourned and wept the death of Jesus. And John 20.11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. Weeping. Grave causes sadness and mourning. The pain of death does not go away quickly. And sometimes when the anniversaries of a loved one's death comes, that pain is resurrected yet again. We're reminded just how much we miss them. I can tell you today, uh, Mike and and Carrie Gibson, who went to Haiti uh, this last week because of Katya's death. We we remember last week that... uh, Not only did we lose Kiana, this young 15-year-old girl to cancer, but we lost Katya, who was the house mom of the boys and girls home in Haiti. Some 70 boys and girls whom she was mom to at the Zanfan Lakai school and home. And the morning in Haiti is, uh, is so, so significant right now. It's so real. When Jimmy, Katya's husband, uh, first contacted them, he could not speak on the phone because he was so in such great pain and, and in tears and in mourning for the loss of his wife. The grave causes sadness and mourning. It is cruel. It is ruthless. It separates us from those we love. It often brings regrets. But the passion story of Jesus isn't just a lesson on death. It isn't just a lesson on the grave. It's a lesson about life. Easter is a message and a day and a time in which we speak of a resurrection, not just grave, in which we speak of eternal life, not just death. And there are new lessons now to be learned from the gospel story of the resurrection of Jesus. I want to main, make four points, simple points here today about the resurrection and its contrast to what we saw in the grave. The first point about Jesus' resurrection on your outline on the back side is that Jesus' resurrection proves that death is beatable. Death is beatable. Now that used to be a slang word. It's been incorporated actually now into the United States uh, Webster's Dictionary. It wasn't so 50 years ago. But I use that term because it's a term that my coach would use often in soccer. He would constantly tell us, he would say, men, this team is beatable. They would often be better than us. They would often be bigger than us. They would often be more skilled than us. But without fail, our coach would pull us aside and he'd point to the other team and he'd say, they are beatable, despite how they look. Despite how, how skilled they are, despite that the odds look overwhelming, they're beatable. Jesus' resurrection points at death and says, it's beatable. You've seen the odds. You know it's dreadful. You know it's cruel. 
You know it's ruthless, death is. You know it shows no mercy, but it's beatable. Luke 24, verses 1 to 6. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women and certain other, uh, uh, certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, and they bowed their faces to the earth, the angel said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but is risen. They were perplexed. They were confused because all they ever knew about death was that it was impenetrable. That death was the final word. But here, in the gospel story, in the story of the passion of Jesus Christ, His resurrection demonstrates that death is beatable. We no longer have to fear. We can have hope. Paul says, because Jesus has been raised, because the first fruits have been raised, we too will be raised with him. Death can be overcome. All the things we've learned about the grave can be vanquished. A second point about Jesus' resurrection, number two, Jesus' resurrection means that reunion is waiting It means that reunion is waiting. Again, from the Gospel of Matthew, as you have a Bible. Matthew 28, verses 7 to 10. This is also uh, the, the angel speaking to the women. And he says, And go quickly. Verse 7, chapter 28. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to, the, to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren and go to Galilee and there they will see me. Reunion. Reunion. A lot of reunions on earth are, uh, are kind of funny. They're kind of awkward. High school reunions, right? Uh, the 10 years, not so awkward. The 20 year, you're kind of looking at people like, Who are you again? And by the 30 year, you've forgotten everybody. You know, you're like, I I don't know you anymore. You look a lot different, a little rounder, or I don't know. (laughs) Reunions can be a little awkward on earth. Not so when this life is over. They rejoiced. They fell at his feet. They worshiped him. He said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren. Go to Galilee. I'll see them over there. I'm looking forward to, uh, to reuniting with those that I've lost, my grandfather. I can't wait to play catch with him, to throw a baseball with my grandfather. I cannot wait to be reunited with my youth pastor and tell him how much he, he meant to me. And he's one of the primary reasons I stand right here. Our relationships, they matter. They last. They matter. 
What's happening here? Your marriage, it matters. Your children, they matter. Your friends, they matter. Your church family, they matter. The relationships, they carry on those of us who have trusted in Christ. The seeds we sow, they will reap a harvest. The resurrection means that reunion is waiting. A third point, Jesus' resurrection, and this is a unique one here. A third point, Jesus' resurrection is a gentle rebuke to heed the word. Jesus' resurrection is a gentle rebuke to heed the word. Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6. But the angel answered and said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And also, Mark 16 on your outline, verses 5 to 7. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man, the angel, clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and the women were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee, and there you'll see him as he said to you. I want to read a selection from the great G. Campbell Morgan about this portion of scripture because it's subtle. Uh, we, it's easy to miss the word of rebuke here, but it's there. I want you to hear it from Morgan's words. He writes in the book, The Crisis of the Christ, he writes, how precious it is to stand in imagination in the tender light of the first day of the week in the company of the women who were first at the tomb and to listen to the first uttering of the evangel of hope as sounding from the empty grave its music breaks upon the heart he is not here for he is risen even as he said come see the place where the Lord lay what tenderness is in the message What glad, exultant joy, and yet what a touch of quiet irony. And yet again, what gentle rebuke. He is risen even as he said. These women and these apostles, Jesus had told them again and yet again that he would rise, and yet they had come bringing spices To anoint him dead, the angel revealed heaven's rebuke in the phrase, even as he said. And then what quiet, majestic irony. All sin and all malice had united to put Jesus within the silent tomb. And now the angel says, behold the place where the Lord lay. The grave is there, but it is empty. He is not here, for he has risen superior to all the forces that united to silence and entomb him. That resurrection is indeed the center of the center. And all the questions of the seeking heart are answered in the radiant splendor of the light that streams from the vanquished grave. A lot could be said there. I'll focus simply on the rebuke. 
when the angel told the women, He is not here, He is risen, just as He said. Implicit in the statement was a a word to the women and to the apostles, to Peter, to John, to Thomas and the rest, was a word of rebuke in which it was said, didn't you hear what he said? Didn't you read the word? Didn't you know over and over and over again how many times Jesus said this would happen? Over and over again, how many times he said he would die? How many times he said he would rise? And not just him, but all of the Old Testament. All of it testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ was going to do what he did. Luke 24 on your outline Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth, the angel said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you. When he was still in Galilee, he said, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they finally remembered his words. Jesus' resurrection is a gentle rebuke to heed the word, even as he said. Pay attention to Jesus' words, friends. Resurrection Sunday is a Sunday to, to esteem the word again, to pay attention to what Jesus taught. To pay attention to the testimony of the Old Testament in which hundreds of prophecies are listed about the coming Christ. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, pay attention to those words in John 14, 6. They mean something. Pay attention to the Bible. God means what he says in it. It's not archaic. It's not outdated. Many who argue before the courts today would like you to think that. Many in our culture and in our media would like, you to, would, would like to take you to passages of the Word and say, well, you see, that was cultural and that was ancient and today we're, we're modern and we're progressive and we've, we've come a lot further in knowledge. Even as he said, the angel told the women, listen to his words. Listen to what the Bible teaches. The resurrection is a gentle rebuke to heed the word. And finally, the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, is a call to action. In Acts 1, verse 11, Jesus' resurrection is a call to action. Jesus, in Acts 1, had ascended into heaven, and the disciples and all that were with them were looking up and seeing him rise. And the angel came and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, he will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The angel says, stop staring up and stop staring at your navel. He says, go and tell and preach. Don't hide the truth. You who know it, share it that you might not have regrets upon someone's death. Don't hide it. Don't hide it under a bushel, no. We're going to let it shine. 
that we might not have regrets, that we might stand before the Lord and say, I told everyone I was not ashamed. I didn't worry about political correctness of the gospel. I didn't worry that I might offend someone. I told them the truth. I did it with gentleness. I did it with love, but I told them. And they had an opportunity to either accept Christ and live or deny him and die. We know the grave is cruel. We know the grave separates. We know the grave brings regrets. The grave brings incredible sadness and mourning. But the Easter story is not just about the grave. It's about the resurrection. And the resurrection says that death is beatable. No matter how tough it looks, death is beatable. The resurrection says that reunion is waiting. That those of you who have trusted Jesus, you will see again your Lord. You will see again those who have died before you in the faith. That Jesus' resurrection is a gentle rebuke right now to you and to me to heed the word even as he said. Listen to his words. Listen to the Bible. And finally, the resurrection is a call to action. A call for those of us who have already trusted Christ to not be afraid to share that message with others. To be bold in doing so. And to those who have never trusted Jesus. Maybe you sit there here today. Your call to action is to heed the word. Is to listen to what Jesus said. And then what he says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He means it. His resurrection proves it. And if you would believe in him, you will pass from death to life. And you will know what everlasting life is. We close with a word from Isaiah 25, verse 8. The prophet writes, And he, that is God, will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, This is our God. We've waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize this Easter morning that there's a big difference between Friday and the grave and Sunday and the resurrection. On Friday, Lord, we were reminded of all the things that, uh, that concern us about death, that make us fearful about it. It can be cruel. It can separate. can bring and cause in us regret. can cause us to weep and wail. Death is painful, God. We've We're all too familiar with it this week. But God, thank you that though the wages of sin is death, that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That through Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, we can have life again by trusting him. That through Jesus, the resurrection 
tells us that death can be vanquished. It can be overcome. It can be beaten. That through Jesus, we know that the resurrection means reunion. It means we don't have to sorrow like those who have no hope. But we can know for sure that we'll see those who have gone on before us, who have trusted in Jesus. We'll see our loved ones. God, that we know that through the resurrection that you've demonstrated that your word is what's important, that listening to you is what's important. You told us it would happen. So God, help us to be a people who listens to what you say and does it. That it might be a call to action, God, your resurrection, the resurrection of your son, that we might not gaze up into heaven or that we might not gaze below, but that we might gaze forward at those around us who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us be bold. Let us be brave. Let us tell all how to live by faith in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.